you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The second reading is from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces." And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lenny. I just pop that down. Um, And good morning. Uh, My name is Mike, as Zach said, and it's my joy to serve as one of the pastors here. Now, uh, just uh, another thing, yesterday, uh, many of us know yesterday, Remembrance Day, uh, a day we we honour those lives lost uh, for our freedom. I just want to pray, give thanks to God for our freedom here in Australia, but also um, the ongoing conflict around the world, particularly uh, in the Middle East, and I pray for us as well. So join with me as I pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a good God and thank you for good things um, like weddings, uh, engagements that point us to your love and grace. Uh, Lord, thank you also for our freedom, the peace we have, particularly in Australia. We do thank you and honour those uh, that fought, that lives were sacrificed uh, for our behalf. And yet, Lord, it grieves us as we look at the news. It can be overwhelming at times uh, seeing the conflict happen all around the world, but particularly right now in the Middle East. Uh, Lord, we do pray that somehow there would be peace, somehow uh, there can be conflict resolved. 
Uh, Lord, I, I do pray for those who are suffering, those who have had uh, families, villages, towns devastated. Lord, I do pray that your peace and love and kindness uh, would be bestowed upon them. You're the God who sees and hears our pain. And somehow would this be used to glorify you? Uh, Lord, I do pray for us this morning. Uh, I pray that you would clear our hearts, our minds, help us to receive your word. See that you are good, that you are true, beautiful and relevant to our lives today. Would I be faithful, helpful uh, to your word as well? And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who remembers uh, the 90s, maybe early 2000s, great Aussie brand Mambo? Remembers them? Yeah, a bunch of people. Uh, some people maybe too young. Um, but Mambo, I remember as a kid, you know, kind of upper primary. If you wore Mambo, you were cool. You had made it. Um, now, one of the, one of the iconic uh, Mambo um, stories. So Mambo, by the way, former uh, mental as anything, um, you know, uh, founder, band, uh, a guy called Reg Mombasa. Um, they were famous not for their, you know, their musical dog, you know, but Hawaiian shirts, political statements, a bit edgy. Uh, maybe that's what appealed to me, particularly as, you know, 10, 11-year-old. Uh, but one of their famous characters was Aussie Jesus. Who remembers Aussie Jesus? A couple of people remember Aussie Jesus. Um, now, this is a shirt. Uh, I think I've got it behind. The miracle of the pies and the beer. The miracle of the pies and the beer. This is from the book of Reg. Uh, you can even see, uh, if you're down the front, there's even verse numbers there. There you go. Uh, I'll read what it says in the book of Reg. And it came to pass that Australian Jesus addressed a multitude of 40,000 people at the Sydney Cricket Ground. And the spoken word tour of New South Wales, the day was long and hot. And he said to his assistants, they are tired and hungry, give ye them refreshment. And they said unto him, we have but five pies and two cans of warm beer. So Australian Jesus cast his eyes into heaven and began to hand out the pies and the beer until all ate and were filled. And the beer was cold and it was good. This is not the word of the Lord. Now maybe it's poking a bit of fun at Christianity, uh, maybe even Aussie culture. Uh, and it sort of seems a little bit ridiculous. But this idea of a miracle of providing pies and its abundance of cold beer on a hot day, it actually isn't that far from the real Jesus, as you might expect. You know, one of the objections to the Christian faith, this might even be your objection this morning, is that it seems like Christianity is a killjoy. It's like a straitjacket. You know, God is the party pooper. It's all about rules. And if God is real, then he doesn't want me to have fun. As we look at this passage today, in fact, the opposite is true. We're going to see Jesus make his first public appearance. And where is it? It's at a party, which, a party which is about to crash and burn. And he not only allows the party to continue, but to thrive and become the most memorable party in history. Jesus came. He said he came so that we can have life to the full. He didn't just say that, he didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk. He embodied that. Now, if you're someone who, who's new or perhaps skeptical to the Christian faith, so glad you're here. Uh, welcome. And we, we hope that you stick around for this series as we look at these seven signs of who Jesus is. We're going to look at three questions, kind of similar to what Zach mentioned about Tim Keller asking about these questions. These questions we actually explore through uh, the, our Introducing Jesus series, which is happening uh, right now this week at Milton Common. Um, hey, we'd love to kind of engage, invite you along to that, or, or perhaps even shout you coffee or chat more at the picnic if you've got questions about the Christian 
faith. But we're doing a series, as Zach mentioned, looking at seven signs of Jesus, looking at one of the biographies of Jesus, John. Uh, who's John? Uh, Zach helpfully uh, mentioned last week. There's a couple of Johns, not John the Baptist, uh, John the author, uh, who describes himself as we read through John's gospel, his account as the one whom Jesus loved. He was not just within the 12, but he was within the three, arguably Jesus' closest friend, his closest mate. And why does he write the book? Well, if you have a Bible, please open it and turn with me uh, to John chapter 20, verse 31. Little Bible tip is often the start or the end are great places to understand what is going on in the book. So John chapter 20, uh, verse 30. He gives us not just a clue, but it's actually a pretty obvious statement about what this book is about. Uh, My subheading even says the purpose of the book, uh, which is helpful. Now, Jesus, this is verse 30, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, these particular seven ones that we see, uh, are written so that you may believe. What, What do you believe? Well, you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Literally means king, Messiah is the same word. The son of God, and that by believing you, the hearers, the readers, may have life in his name. These signs that John mentioned, verse 30, they're, they're, they're pointing to something. Miracles, more than just party tricks, but miracles pointing to us as to who Jesus is, why he came. Now, we all walked past signs. You walk past the sign this morning and you probably went in a different entrance than normally at church. And I'm glad you didn't stop at the sign because the sign isn't the thing. What's important is what the sign is pointing towards. And so these seven signs are so that we might see who Jesus is, what he's on about and what difference it makes for us. So there's a deeper significance to this sign of water into wine as we will see um, now, John is telling us, if we go back to chapter 2, verse 11, as Linny read, uh, this is where he revealed his glory. Revealed his glory. Manifest his glory, it says in the ESV. Um, this is who Jesus is. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know this. You've received this. You believe uh, this promise of life in his name has already been given to you. And if you're not, we hope that you would see a bit more about what he is on about and what he is offering you this morning. And so we're going to unpack um, the sign. There's multiple layers to this. Uh, there's three questions. Who Jesus is, why he came, and what difference does it make to me? Not overly complex, no fancy alliterations this morning. So turn, to turn with me to John 2. Firstly, who is Jesus. Now, just a bit of context, just setting this up. We saw last week uh, that we've already learned a bunch about Jesus in chapter 1. Jesus had always existed. I used to think he popped into the world um, in, you know, 0 BC, in 1 1 AD or around that time. Um, No, he actually always existed. John 1 says, in the beginning, there was the word. He always existed. In fact, the whole world was made for, by, and through Jesus. Uh, He's God in flesh. But here he is. He's born as a baby. As we read John 2, he's about 30 years old. And this is the other John, this wild man, John the Baptist, who's dressed in camel's hair, eating kind of bugs and honey, kind of the original paleo diet. You know, he he prepares the way for Jesus. He calls Jesus the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And we also see in John 1 that he's calling a bunch of people to literally give up their jobs 
and follow him. And so a bunch of them have followed him. He probably doesn't have his full 12. Maybe four to six disciples are with him at this point. And let's read John chapter 2. We'll pick up where Linny read for us. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, here's a, here's a map uh, just to kind of orientate ourselves. We'll see uh, if you can read down the bottom is Jerusalem. Uh, there's the River Jordan uh, where uh, John had been baptized and Jesus was baptized there as well. And they'd gone up to the top where Jesus grew up. He was born in Bethlehem but spent most of his time as a child, adolescent in Nazareth. And there's a tiny little village just near Nazareth. Nazareth isn't particularly large as well, only a few hundred. Now, Cain has only got a few hundred perhaps. And it's just next to Nazareth up the top there. And Jesus, he gets invited to the wedding. We're not sure of all the details, but Mary, perhaps uh, Mary uh, knew the couple that are getting married, related to the family, perhaps even uh, as well. And, but that's not, we, don't, we don't need to know all those details, but the point is that Jesus, he'd been invited as well as his disciples. You know, maybe Jesus you know, is a single guy, he's allowed to bring some mates, maybe that's why we're not sure, right? But hands up, who's been to a wedding that's lasted more than a day. Who's been to a wedding that lasted more than a day? Oh, a lot of you are missing out. I've only been to one. This wedding in Poland, my cousin's wedding, went for two days. It was incredible. It was lavish. But back then, weddings went for up to seven days. Imagine that, seven days of partying. The whole village would often come. This would be the highlight of the social calendar. And it was on the broom, groom's responsibility, on the groom's responsibility to make sure it was a good wedding. Uh, to provide for, to show that he was could be able to provide for his bride, uh, th- they'd be engaged for maybe a year, uh, and during that time, the wedding preparations would begin, and also uh, the, the groom's responsibility would to make sure that the, the bride had somewhere to live, and so he'd be building a house, uh, maybe as an you know, extension, a granny flat out of his parents' house, something like that. Uh, but the wedding was a, a sign uh, to show his, the family that he could provide for his future, or his now wife. But there's a problem. Look at verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, I have no more wine. They can't just duck to the bottle shop and pick up another carton. Have you ever ever undercated for a party before? It's pretty embarrassing when the food runs out halfway through. I remember at at church weekend away, at church camp, um, ordered pizzas for Friday night, and they ran out, had to do another pizza run. It was a bit shameful, had to get the boys to go and pick up some more. But even more awkward or intense when it's actually your gathering, your house, your wedding. But even more so in first century Israel. This is a big cultural Taboo. Remember, the weddings would last often a week. This is perhaps the third day, only halfway through. And this is a strong honor and shame culture. Uh, To be shamed uh, would be an incredibly uh, depressing thing. And this would be something that would stay with you for life uh, if the wine ran out. And pragmatically, you could actually be fined if if the, the food and drinks ran out at the wedding. Guests like Jesus had traveled, and his disciples traveled afar. They'd stay uh, as well. Um, And as I said, a few more days to go. And there's a problem. So Mary, like any good mother, she steps in. Son, can you fix this problem? Now, Mary might not be necessarily expecting a miracle at this point. Jesus hasn't performed 
any miracles. The miracle of his birth, but, that, um, but apart from that, uh, Jesus had been lived a relatively ordinary, and we don't actually hear much about his life prior. She knew that it was special, uh, the Immaculate Conception, but, and the angel Gabriel had spoken to her, saying that he was the Son of God. Uh, she'd been with him growing up and had undoubtedly seen uh, a difference in how he lived, perhaps compared to his siblings in particular, saw his perfect servant-heartedness and sacrificial love even at a young age. And so she steps in. Now, what does Jesus do? What do you expect him to do at this point? His mum's asked him something. He's got the power, the means to do it. What would you expect him to do? Probably not say, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, yeah, the translation, uh, woman, uh, it's, it's helpful. Uh, it might not be quite as sharp there. It's not an insult, but neither is it a term of endearment. Uh, perhaps, um, you know, if you could feminize this, it might be, hey, mate, why are you asking me? Uh, you know, Jesus had, he had an opportunity here to, to lift his mother up and really you know, venerate and esteem her. Uh, but, and he actually did on multiple occasions, but he doesn't. There's another time in, in Luke 28, someone says to Jesus, hey, how blessed is your mum uh, that she bore you? And Jesus said, no, no, blessed is whoever hears the word of God and puts it into practice. Yeah, some of us might have come from a, a Catholic tradition. I've got a lot of Catholic family, and there's a lot we can agree uh, with, the, with Catholics on many things, but not with the veneration of Mary, praying to Mary. Anyway, that was a quick aside. Back to the wedding. Why does Jesus shine his mother here? Well, that leads us to the second question, the point of why he came. Why did Jesus come? You know, we asked this question uh, this week at Introducing Jesus, and we had a lot of different uh, responses. Why did Jesus come? Perhaps you've got different thoughts, or people you've spoken to have different thoughts. You know, maybe for his teaching, or to impart a different philosophy, a way of life, an example, a social justice, to start a revolution, to start a cult, a good bloke. Perhaps there's some truth to all of those things, but there's a clue, a sign uh, that he gives as to why he came. It's his word, hour. He says, my hour has not yet come. Now, there's a couple of, of key layers to this concept of hour, his time. Uh, some translations uh, have it as, well, firstly, here's a wedding, and as I said, he's single. Uh, I found out that yesterday was not only rem- Remembrance Day, but it was Singles Day, uh, 1111. Uh, it kind of comes from China, where they uh, mass biggest day of their retail calendar. They'll spend over $200 billion, uh, Singles Day. Um, and at City on a Hill, we have lots of single people, and that's great. Like, I love that we have lots of single people at church. Single people in their 20s and 30s are, are least likely to attend church than any other demographic in Australia. So it's great that we've got so many here, even in this room, and I love that you're such a key part of our community. And if you've been to a wedding as a single person, you might be thinking this, you know, what will my wedding look like, or even will I have a wedding? Jesus, he, as a single man, going to this wedding, there's a signpost to his wedding. Now, what's his wedding, you might be asking? Well, it's a wedding that you are invited to. Turn with me, if you have a Bible, to the very end of the Bible, of Revelation chapter 19, sorry, Revelation chapter 19. The same John who wrote John's Gospel, John 2, writes this. He sees a vision of what heaven and indeed this wedding that you're invited to will look like. 
Revelation 19, let's come with me from verse 7. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb. Remember the Lamb? That's Jesus. Has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted, to, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And flick over to Revelation 21, just a couple of pages perhaps over in your Bible. And he says this in verse 2, I saw the new city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So what's the wedding? The wedding's between Jesus and his bride. Who's his bride? It's the church. That's us. We aren't just invited in the wedding, but we are central. We are marrying Jesus. Now, blokes, that's a, a weird thing. Well, it's, it's weird for everyone to get ahead around, but particularly for men, we're, we're the bride of Christ. Um, women, you're the sons of God, so there's kind of a little bit of equality there. But, but we, this is good news, we are included in this marriage of Jesus. We are fully united, and that'll be consummated in the future, where we're fully united face-to-face with Jesus. We'll be in perfect relationship with him forever. If you're married in this room, I'm talking to myself here. Marriage is good, but it is also a sign. It's temporal, it's short. It's pointing to the true, lasting marriage, which is between Jesus and his church. Jesus says in Matthew 19 and Mark 12 that we won't be married, husband and wife, like we are on earth, forever. Your spouse won't be your spouse in heaven. And if you contemplated that before, but it's temporal, it's short, as good as it is. So back in John 2, he says, my hour has not yet come, partly because his, his marriage has not been fulfilled yet. Um, But the second layer to this hour, which makes this wedding invitation possible, uh, is this theme that we see all throughout John's gospel. If you've got John open there, um, turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, we see this hour, he's pointing towards why he's come, and it's the night before he's going to be killed. He's just had uh, his last supper with his friends, and he says this in John 17. He says, Father, the hour... Has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Why did Jesus come? Uh, not just to do a few miracles and a few cool party tricks, though the one we read today, it is a cool party trick, but he came to die on the cross. He is the sacrificial lamb dying for our sins. He takes the bullet that you and I deserve. He's, he pays for our parking ticket. I got a parking fine this way. He pays for our parking ticket, if you like that, that image. He, he, he pays what we deserve. And as I said, that this is just after he shared the last supper, the last meal with his disciples. And what do his disciples drink? Wine. This time, not to celebrate, but to signify. The wine 
that Jesus says in Luke 22, verse 20. He says, the cup that is poured out for you is the covenant in my blood. Last week, we, we shared in communion the Lord's Supper together, pointing back to what Jesus had done, but also looking to the future reality of this feast with Jesus. Do you know this, Jesus? Back to Mary's request. Jesus, do something. I've run out of wine. Woman, my hour has not yet come. Look, I'm going to do something. And it's going to point, though, to something greater. I'm going to give you a taste of what's to come. But it is just a taste. He gives this sign pointing towards what's to come. And so uh, back in John chapter 2, he says this, verse 4. Mary says this, verse 5. Do whatever Jesus tells you. Great life advice. Do whatever Jesus tells you. That, that'll, that'll preach. But particularly, verse 6, that now there were six, there were six stone Sorry, verse 6, what happens? There were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. So there's six, these big stone water jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons, each having over 100 liters of water. It's a lot of water. They're filled right to the brim. But notice what they're there for. They're there for purification, for ceremonial washing. Now, what's this on about? Well, this was a symbol to, to be clean before you ate. Uh, Now, this wasn't a rule in the Bible. This was part of the Pharisees' tradition. They sort of added extra rules to sort of make them feel more clean, uh, not more hygienic, but to feel more holy uh, before God, though though they couldn't do that. Uh, But they tried, right? And they would wash their hands. They'd do something like this. They would kind of drip it down so they'd kind of fall across their fingertips down to their elbows before they ate. And that's what these water jars were used for. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus says, to go to these specific jars. He says, I'm going to use a symbol for your religion, and I'm going to change it literally from the inside out. I'm going to take it and point it and make it something better. Why has Jesus come? He's come to bring something better. A new age, a new era. The Bible says a new covenant. The prom- these promises weren't about religion. Uh, it's not about doing things to make us clean. It's about being cleansed from the inside out. Leon Morris, uh, commentating on this passage, he says, Jesus changes the water of Judaism into the wine of Christianity. The water in the jars, they somehow become a new thing, a new creation, changed from the inside out. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who is in Christ, anyone who puts their trust in Jesus, what does Paul say? They are, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Christian, you are new. You've been changed from the inside out. Back in John 2, let's read the reaction. What happens? Verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then... So everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. 
and this master of the feast, sort of like a wedding MC, wedding planner, best man, head, head you know, caterer, all sort of wrapped into one. Um, this guy's job is to manage the wedding, make sure the groom you know, looks good, doesn't get shamed. Now, there's a big problem. He knows the problem, and there's a solution. What's the solution? Well, the water, it turns into wine. Now, he doesn't know how it was fixed. The servants knew, so notice it's not this kind of big public spectacle. Jesus does it behind the scenes, but... You know, the servants, they bring him the wine, and he's like, where did this come from? This is excellent. And normally what happens in our parties, and maybe this happens at parties that you've been at, normally the good stuff gets brought out when they've had a few, then the kind of cheaper stuff, you know, the, the binans, the goon, that sort of comes out later. You know, it could have been a tense moment, though, for the groom. As I said, they could be fined. But not only does Jesus come to rescue the situation, but he brings it to something more Glorious. This is new wine. This is top shelf Penfolds Grange stuff. Not the dodgy cask wine at the clearance bin at Dan Murphy's. No, this is excellent. There's big jars, you know, maybe a thousand bottles filled to the brim worth. Now, some of you might be thinking, is does Jesus condone drunkenness here? And some people have, have thought that and they've kind of said, well, therefore, it must be just grape juice. Now, I think that's unlikely. Uh, that, that it is just a non-alcoholic grape juice. Um, but I, I think as well, like a scholarship sort of agrees that it's probably not the 11 12% stuff that we buy today. It's maybe 3 to 4%, maybe like a light mid-strength beer. Um, so it would be used for maybe watered down a bit, used for hydration as well. And it's probably only water or wine that they have to drink. They're the two beverage options at a wedding. And this party, remember, it's going on for a few more days. The whole village is there. So the quantities aren't quite as absurd. But notice it doesn't say they got through it all um, as well. So we don't, we don't need to jump to the gun there. But I will just say, though, at the same time, alcohol and all throughout the Bible, uh, there's warnings of abuse of alcohol. It's a good gift from God. It's like a knife. A knife's a good gift from God. You can do great things with it, but it's also a dangerous weapon. You know, two of the first instances of wine in the Bible occur in drunkenness and drunken acts of shame from Noah and from Lot. You can chase them up in Genesis later. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, do not, this is to the Christians, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, that's evil, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's people in this room that, that struggle, have struggled, have addictions, particularly with alcohol, history of alcohol abuse in your family. We need to heed the warning that the Bible gives around this. I read this week, according to the ABS, that 30 Australians die each week due to alcohol-related deaths. I had an uncle a bunch of years ago. He was drunk crossing a road and got hit by a car. I also know personally, my own experience, I started drinking at 14. Uh, my life was really dependent in many ways on alcohol till I was about 18, 19. For me, it was like wearing a mask where I could escape from reality, almost become a different person. I mean, literally, I had a fake ID that said I was a different person at one point. I, I, I thought that I could be brave and bold when I drunk. But I was chasing it for the glory, for myself to be accepted before I knew Jesus. But looking back, I knew it was dumb, not just because of the hangovers, and not just because of the money I wasted, but it changed who I was. It turned me into a different person, a person that God did not intend me to be. I wasn't person that was flourishing, rather, I was failing. 
You know, twice, I'm, I'm not a particularly violent guy, aggressive guy. I used to get called the BFG, big friendly giant at school. I was pretty tall, six foot, age 12. But, but um, the only, only twice, I, uh, twice I've thrown a punch, uh, both when I was a drunk teenager. And like, I don't say this to brag, like this is, this is stupid. Um, like this sucks. What I did, once I punched a car driving past. Another time I threw a haymaker at someone and thankfully missed, but I started a fight and yeah, it was terrible, right? Um, now let's not be a community that that abuses or even has an unhealthy dependence upon alcohol. Let's not be drunk. But at the same time, it's a good gift from God. Psalm 104 verse 15 says that God gives wine to gladden human hearts. Jesus drunk. He was, in fact, John the Baptist, he was accused of being weird because he didn't drink and Jesus was accused of, of being a glutton and a drunkard because he did drink. Um, so Jesus drunk, but he received it with thanksgiving. Uh, wine throughout the Bible is a good gift from God. It's a sign pointing us to God's goodness. And a little practical tip that I, I employ, you know, can you, can you give thanks to God? If you, if you have a couple of drinks, can you give thanks to God for each one? You don't have to, you know, hey, let's all say grace for this one beer. You know, you don't have to do that. But, but you know, seriously, can you genuinely give thanks to God? If you can't, then perhaps it's a sign you've had too many or you should stop. Are you sober enough to pray, to enjoy it, to receive it with thanksgiving? You know, Driving is also helpful, kind of inbuilt accountability of the law that you're not going to have more than one or two. At the moment, I mean, recently we've done God on tap. I want to, we want to do that to, to reach people. We want to, we want to do that not because we love, not because alcohol is a, you know, this idol that we want to hold up, but no, because we want to reach people and then people aren't coming to church. They're still going to the pub. We want to go out there in the community and engage with people. But at the same time, you know, we don't want to do that if it's going to be a stumbling block, if it's going to be unhelpful, if you've got lots of friends that, hey, I want to invite them, but I can't. Let's have a conversation about that. Likewise, at a gospel community level. If your, if your outposts are always, you know, in the pub, if you're doing socials, always involving alcohol, there's people in your group that are struggling with that. And we need to be listening. We need to be having conversations. And it's a two-way street, right? If you're someone who's struggling, you need to communicate. We need to be loving. Let's be a community of grace. Alcohol, it's a good gift from God, but it can be weaponized, abused, and bring about much suffering. All right, we've seen who Jesus is. We've seen why he came. Just to wrap up, what, what difference does it make for me? Well, Jesus comes to, to offer full life, a life of joy. And there's some people think that being a Christian is about turning your wine into water, making your life boring. Jesus says, no, no, the opposite. I've come to bring life. In James 1, James, the brother of Jesus, in 1.17, he says that every good gift is from God, from the Father of lights, is to be received with thanksgiving. Brothers, sisters, we don't need to feel guilty about enjoying good things. We should be thankful to God as the giver of gifts, but we don't need to feel guilty. Now, Christians, I believe we should be having the best parties. In fact, I believe when people have parties, people should be like, great, the Christians are here, and that should make a difference, right? But sometimes, sometimes we can sort of, I don't know, be not serious, but, but as if we don't express and reflect the joy that's been given to us. I love this quote from um, 19th century Anglican uh, minister J.C. Ryle, and he says, he says this, that the Christian who withdraws entirely from the society of his fellow men and 
walks the earth with a face as melancholy as if he was always attending a funeral, does injury to the cause of the gospel. A cheerful, kindly spirit is a great recommendation to a believer. It is a real misfortune to Christianity when a Christian cannot smile. Now, I don't think he's saying, and I'm definitely not saying that we need to just you know, grin and bear it when stuff's hard and have a painted smile. Don't fake it. But church, like, Christianity is one of the few religions that sings. We sing out loud because we have a reason to sing. Like, singing is a weird thing to do, unless you're at the footy or a concert, sort of culturally. We sing because we've got a reason to sing about, to rejoice. Let me read again uh, what Linny read for us earlier in Isaiah. This is 700 years prior to Jesus. This is painting a picture of the hope we have, what new creation, what heaven will be like. As I read this, let us engage our heart of what God is doing, what He is preparing for us. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. On this mountain, Zion, this is the new Jerusalem. The Lord of hosts, He'll make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich Food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. Man, love that. Love that picture, that banquet that's on offer for us. And also the bad stuff. What's going to happen there? Well, he continues that he'll swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God, and we have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord, and we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And as I invite the band up, this invitation that God offers to the banquet not the banquet that lasts seven days, the banquet that lasts for eternity. It's better than the Aussie Jesus, beer and pies of the putty. It's, it's forever. The choicest of meats, the finest of wines. Every cuisine from every period of history, every tribe. Man, and all time to, to try, to taste, to savour with all of God's people. How good is that going to be? And the best part is that God will be there. Jesus is our husband. Perfect unity with him. Now, some of us here, we're chasing a different experience. Uh, We've got the travel bug. We want to see the world. We want comfort. We want to get the renos done. Or we want this different season of life. Because if I get there, then I can find true joy. You know, if I was in a relationship, or maybe I am, and if I was single, or if my kids would be different, or if my kids would move out, or if I even had kids, then I'll find joy. Now, these things aren't bad things. Uh, as I said, they're, they're things to receive, uh, to pray for, to receive with thanksgiving when things are going well, but don't bank upon them, because really they pale in comparison to the banquet of eternity that God has on offer for you, what we have in Jesus. C.S. Lewis uh, says this, that it would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling 
about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now, let's not be content with Nudgy Beach when Noose is on offer, right? Church, friends, you have been invited to the eternal banquet. Have you accepted the invite? And do you live, if you're a Christian, do you live as though this is real? Are you longing for that eternal reality? Longing to be with Jesus. As Jesus said in John 2.11, after, sorry, after John says, after Jesus had turned the water into wine, John says that this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. John is pleading for his authors, his hearers, to believe in him. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Life forever, life to the full. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good. Lord, may we not believe the lie of the world, of the devil, to suggest otherwise, that you're there as the party pooper, you're there to take away our joy, or that we can find joy in the things of the world rather than the giver of these things. Lord, I do pray that we as a community can be genuinely thankful to you for what you have given us in abundance. But Lord, may we do that in light of eternity, what is to come. You are preparing a table for us, Lord. We long for that day and help us to live in light of eternity. May we be a people of grace that are there loving each other, pointing each other to the goodness of you. We thank you that it's only by your grace, your kindness, your love, uh, that we are able to be part of your feast. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.